You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 34. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapist Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Ramback, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Music Teachers Helper, the best way to manage your private music lesson studio and or music therapy practice. I've used Music Teachers Helper every single day since 2011, and it is one of the best tools I have to keep my private practice running smoothly. Music Teachers Helper is online scheduling and billing software, which you can access from your computer, laptop, tablet, and smartphone, and saves you hours every month, enables you to generate reports for taxes, and ensures you never lose track of a payment. Once you add a student, which is super easy, you can choose to automatically send students custom invoices that can be paid by credit card if you make that an option. Automatically email lesson and session reminders, late payment notifications, notes, and so much more. So many amazing features, I can't even list them all here. Every user also receives a free, easy-to-build website template to help market your studio or private practice. Ditch the costly web designer or programmers and have complete control over your website content. With dozens of professional templates available, you'll be sure to find one that best expresses your style. Whether you have five or 50 students, Music Teachers Helper works with studios and practices of all sizes. They offer a 30-day no-risk trial where you can test it out to discover how much time you'll be saving. If you use the link in the show notes or go to www.musicteachershelper.com slash podcast, you'll save 20% off your first month if you choose to sign up after the trial. In this episode, I'm chatting with Leslie Zunt. Leslie is a wife to JJ, a mom to Aliyah and Titus, and has been a board-certified music therapist for almost two years. She lives in Canyon, Texas, home of her alma mater, West Texas A&M University. She works in Amarillo as a music therapist in the public school system and contracts with a few companies to provide private music therapy services to individuals in the Amarillo area. Leslie and her family spend lots of time volunteering at church, going to baseball or soccer practice and games, and attending football games in the fall. When she isn't on the go, Leslie enjoys reading, drinking coffee, and watching her babies grow. Leslie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. Good. Well, I'm so excited to hear what you have to share with us. And so let's start at the very beginning with you giving us some background about your career and how you came to be a music therapist. Sure. Um, Well, during my sophomore year of high school, I found out about music therapy through this, um, this counselor had us do this online career um, questionnaire and all of the results I got were horrible and they didn't fit my personality at all. So whenever I was searching through many of the other careers, I found music therapy and I, so I researched it a lot and I discovered that, um, West Texas A&M university 
had music therapy and they were just two hours north of where I was living. And I decided that it fit perfectly with my life. And I went all for it, even though I was only a sophomore. I started, um, I started using music in my life to prepare me for that. So I started teaching some piano lessons and in my piano lessons, I, um, took a step back from the classical realm and went more towards, um, learning, um, courting and those types of things. So, um, when I went to West Texas A&M, I was there from 2009 to 2013. And that was an adventure, uh, because I did have a child already. So, um, and then let's see, I had my internship at, um, the VA in Amarillo and I, I worked there for about three months and then I had an interesting opportunity to do part of my internship with Amarillo Independent School District with hopes of taking on the position once I was certified. Um, and so how I kind of did that was I worked three days at the, at the school and two days of the week at the, at the VA and at the school, I was supervised by the previous music therapist for the school district. So I basically took on the role of the music therapist with supervision, um, with, with just a little bit of supervision. So it was interesting. It was, it was a full on job, but, um, just not getting paid, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, I was officially board-certified music therapist in January 2014. So I've been a music therapist therapist for about one and a half years. And I'm starting my third year with Amarillo ISD, uh, actually, this week. So that's kind of how my career has gotten started. So you're pretty new to the music therapy field which is awesome. You know, I love to talk to people that have just recently joined the field and, and have gotten a little bit of experience under their, their belts and just kind of pick your brain about, um, what your experience as a music therapist has been like so far, especially with you having known about music therapy since the middle of high school and been able to spend that time preparing. Do you feel Mm -hmm. like, like your expectations um, came true about music therapy and your, your career now? I think so. Um, I think a lot of the time whenever I was in doing my undergraduate, everything was based on, you know, all this, all, a lot of data and don't get me wrong. I do a lot of data, but whenever I, I went into the school system, I expected something different, something very straightforward, like either they do this or they don't do this. And it wasn't like that at all. So I had to kind of reset how I viewed, um, music therapy once I was in the real world. And that was just, I guess, just from the textbook of music therapy to real world music therapy was, um, was different than I expected. Yeah. And I think that's one of the challenges for us as music therapists, because it is such an open-ended, profession there are so many things that 
you know, we can make, um, or there are so many decisions that we can make on our own where there isn't a black or white answer that yes. it's exciting, but it's also just can be really overwhelming at times. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. What circumstances have you been in where you felt like it's been tricky to, to kind of narrow things down and, and come up with an answer on your own? Um, well, in general, in the school system, I am the only music therapist they have right now. And I, I only work part-time. And that is, that's been a challenge because there is no other music therapist to go to and say, I need, I need a, an idea or I need some help with this situation. I'm not really sure what's the best thing to do here um, because I am brand new. So I've had to seek out um, music therapists in the, in the area to kind of get some supervision with those things. And they've been accommodating for sure. But um, I, I can't think of a specific situation that, that I had, I had a hard time with. Yeah. It's just, there are so many ways to use your creativity and apply all the things that you know. Um, so I think that, you know, as time goes on, you'll come to those situations more and more often. But I think it's also one of those things that it gets easier with practice and you sort of figure out what works and you're better able to read your students and your clients and and come up with a good um, response or solution. I definitely agree with that. Mm -hmm. So let's back up a little because music therapy is a pretty rigor rigorous curriculum and mm -hmm. You mentioned that you had a child going into your studies. So how did you make that work? Yes, I did. Um, it was a, it was a challenge. I'll, I will say that, but it's one of those things where when you decide that you want to do something or that you're going to do something, then you do it and it doesn't really matter what you have going on in your life you make it work. And that's what I would always tell people because they would be so surprised that I had a child and I was going through the music program and they would always say, I can't, I don't, I don't know how you make it work. And, and that was, that was always my answer. You do what you have to do. <laughs> so, um, whenever, let's see, when I started at WT at West Texas A&M, Alaya was 10 months old, so she was pretty still, – she was still a little baby. Mm -hmm. And throughout that journey, um, by the time I finished my internship, she was five years old. So that was quite a journey. <laughs> yeah, that that's interesting to think that basically her whole early childhood – was spent with you being in school in one form or another, either in the classroom or in your internship. Yes. So did you find that it was hard to make time to study and to plan your practicum and all of that kind of thing that came along with, with the coursework? I, I do think that it was probably more difficult because I did have, um, I did have Alaya, but I, I knew what I was going into with having her and she was a 
she still is such an easygoing child and it was it made it easier for sure but i guess what i did was she went to daycare and i went to i went to school during the day luckily i didn't have very many night classes that i that i had to take um i just think i only had two throughout the course of those years and those night classes were easier because my husband was there to take care of her. But when I got any, any spare time I had during the day, that is when I practiced. Um, that is when I did my studying. That's when I did my homework. Um, and then I picked her up from daycare and we did whatever we needed to together at home and dinner. And when she went to bed, I usually stayed up studying and, um, I'm, I did practice some at home. I had a piano at home and I remember, uh, several, we lived in an apartment and several people would ask if we had a, if we had a piano because they did thought it was weird that it, the radio sounded that way. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, yeah, we, we went through that journey we kind of grew up together. I grew up in the music therapy world and she kind of grew up as a little kid. And <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. And I'm sure that she, I think when she's older, will respect the fact that you were able to pursue your degree and become a professional with such a young child and to make it work and to, you know, give her a great childhood at the same time. I think, I think so. And, and I have to say, you know, during that time, we had a music therapy club after, um, after one, one day of the week and she would always go with me and she loved it. And <laughs> so she was this, they, they said that she was like the music therapy mascot, mascot you know, right? <laughs> cute little girl. And she, she was really friendly with everybody. She would just sit in everybody's laps and play and sing along and. It was, it was fun. I think that's so important for your child to, especially in a career like music therapy, where it is so person-centered and it is personal work that you're doing. Um, and I know that I've sort of had that same experience this summer with, with my daughter. She's three months old now. And this summer we've been renovating and opening a new facility for our private practice. And She's been our little mascot this whole time. <laughs> she's been by my side pretty much every second that I've been working there and, and getting it ready to open, and everybody's been able to meet her. And so I think that's just such a cool memory to have, you know, when she's older, to know that she grew up around these people and that she grew up surrounded by music therapy. I think that's so fun. Yes, it really it really was. Mm-hmm. So you also have another child, a son. Yes. So let's talk about what stage you were at in either your internship or your career when you decided to expand your family. Yeah. Well, I was at the very end of – well, I had just finished my internship the week before, and I found out I was pregnant. Huh. Talk about and, a life change. <laughs> right. <laughs> And we weren't really expecting, um, we weren't really trying to have a baby, but we did want to have 
one, at least one more child. And we didn't want to wait until Aliyah was seven. And she was five at the time. So we knew it was coming, but we really wanted to, I wanted to get um, my job secured because I was finishing my internship, but I had to be, um, I had to pass my test to be board certified music therapist in January. And then I would be hired by Amarillo Independent School District. So I wanted to have that all set and be comfortable in my career before we thought about expanding our family. But I guess God just had other plans. So we <laughs> As he had so often does. Another. Yes. <laughs> so we had, um, I found out I was pregnant in December of 2013. And I... I guess I became board certified in January 2014, and then I was officially hired, and then we just kind of finished, I, I finished out the school year pregnant, and that was an adventure all in itself. <laughs> I can imagine. What was your pregnancy like? It was pretty smooth. It was not as smooth as Aliyah. She was when I was pregnant with her, it was so easy. I never had any kind of morning sickness or any um, fatigue. It was just really easy. With Titus, he, I had some morning sickness and I was dealing with that throughout my days at, at work. And then by the end of the school year, in May, the end of May, I was 29 weeks pregnant. So I was pretty, I was getting pretty big. I was pretty big. And I remember being pretty tired and taking naps in the car. And I felt like I was always hungry. I was constantly eating between schools, <laughs> driving from school to school. And then I guess whenever I, um, was at at one of my schools. We sit on the floor for a long period of time. And so for an hour and a half, um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I was sitting in the floor. <laughs> and it was pretty hard at the end of my uh, at the end of the school year because I was so big. But we made it, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where you look back and you're like, oh, that was that was tough, and uh -huh. somehow I did it. I don't know how, but I did, and I made it to the other side. Yes. Nice, nice. So at what point in the school year was it that Titus was born? He was born on August 9th. So oh, okay, so in the summer. Yes. Now, do you, do you normally work in the summertime, or had you had a break at that point? I had a break. I was – off from 20 I was 29 weeks pregnant with him until birth and I had all of that time off and then I had seven weeks after he was born oh that's so nice so what did you do with all that time before he was born I rested a lot mm -hmm. I, I mean I live in Texas so it was really hot mm -hmm. and that was not fun but I also tried to spend a lot of time with Aliyah because she had been an only child for 
five years, really almost six because she turned six right after he was born. And so, so I spent a lot of time with her and rested a lot and then just prepared for a baby. (laughs) Yeah. And did everything go as you were expecting once Titus was born or was it a very different experience from when Eli was born? It was a very different experience. Um, I ended up having a C-section with Titus because he was, uh, he was nine pounds, 15 ounces. He was 10 pounds. And (laughs) yeah, so I just, there were just some complications when I had Aliyah and she, when I had her, she, um, had meconium aspiration and she was in NICU for a week after she was born, even though she was full term and pretty much healthy besides that. And there was a possibility that that could happen again, especially since he was such a big baby and other complications as well because he was big. So we decided to go ahead and do a C-section, which when I went in for my C-section, he was, I was already in labor. I was, I was having contractions every five minutes and it was, I figure that was probably I would have had him that day or the next day anyways. So it was kind of funny that that happened. But he, once he was born, I was recovering from a C-section. So that was definitely different than before because after Eli was born, she was in the NICU for a week. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't be with her. I mean, that was sad. It was hard for us emotionally, but we also weren't, staying up for a lot long hours at night, taking care of a newborn. We were able to get caught up on sleep before she actually came home. Right. So, so you were able to give yourself a chance to kind of get ready for the big change yeah. that you're about to experience. Yes. And with Titus, I mean, he was completely healthy and I was recovering from a C-section, but other than that, I was fine. And we went home after two days in the hospital and then it was a totally different world because I, I didn't breastfeed with Elia and I did with Titus and learning all of that was, was hard and it was a new experience, but we, I guess when we started, when we got home, it was about a week later and then I, I started feeling um, symptoms of baby blues and I, I was trying to be very careful and watch every little symptom because I was afraid that it might be postpartum depression. So, and I guess in a sense it is, but it, it didn't last very long. It only lasted for about five days. And did did you expect it at all before Titus was born? Did you have a history of it with Elia or a family history at all? No, I didn't expect it because when Aliyah was born, like I said, she was in NICU for a week and I didn't have any sleep deprivation. And of course, when she got home from the hospital, she slept through the night. She was this perfect little baby. (laughs) It was so easy. But, um, and I, I guess I expected it to be that way. I don't know because that was my first and that's all I had ever known. Sure. And then when Titus, he, he wasn't a bad baby, but he didn't, um, he didn't 
he still doesn't sleep through the night and he's over a year old. So (laughs) if that tells you anything, um, and then of course, um, figuring out breastfeeding and I guess all of those things just kind of culminated into me being, having the baby blues. And I was very sad for, for days and it had nothing to do with Titus and I guess everything to do with me. I was just nothing that I enjoyed normally was appealing to me. So, and it was, it's nothing that you have any control over. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just, it's insane when you think about the fact that your hormones can affect you in that manner and completely Mm -hmm. change your attitude, your mood, your thoughts, everything. And yes. it's like you don't even feel like yourself. And and I know because I had them to some extent with Parker the first time. Mm-hmm. And and I attribute it a lot to like what you were saying with Titus um, not sleeping. I had that same experience. I did not get any sleep for just about a year with him. And it, it's really easy to to be affected in those ways. So how did you combat those feelings? I, I don't think I really did. I just tried. Well, I had one of my main symptoms was, um, the lack of, the lack of hunger. I was, I didn't eat and I knew I had to eat because I was breastfeeding. So that was really hard for me because I knew I had to, but but everything I tried to eat. No, I I couldn't barely eat at all. And I knew that, that that there was something wrong with that. And I told myself, okay, if this doesn't stop by, you know, by the time well, I had a doctor's appointment, um, two weeks after my C-section, I had a, a follow-up appointment. So it was coming um, about, the, about a week before I started having these symptoms. Then I was going to have my doctor's appointment about a week later. And I... So I knew if those symptoms don't stop, then, uh, something's wrong and I need to tell my doctor, but they were completely gone by the time I had my doctor's appointment. So I was thankful for that because I didn't know how I was going to cope with those symptoms. And I cried just for no reason out of nowhere all the time. (laughs) And it was, it was tough. Yeah. And I can imagine that, you know, having had such an, I won't say easy because I don't think any child is necessarily easy, (laughs) but having had such a smooth experience with Aliyah that first time and everything going so well and not recovering from a Mm C-section, all of those things I'm sure came into play with, with having, having those issues the second time. They definitely did. Yeah. So... How did how did the rest of your maternity leave look once you were starting to feel better? Well, once the those baby blues were gone, I felt like myself. And besides him not sleeping, and he did sleep pretty well, but it wasn't long stretches of time. He would sleep for two and a half to three hours, and then we were back up again, you know, nursing, and which is pretty normal, I think, but. I wasn't really prepared for it. Um, but after that, um, I, aside from that, I should say, uh, it was really nice just to have time with him and adjust to 
life with two children. And Aliyah actually started kindergarten two weeks after I had Titus. So it was interesting. And we were taking, I had to take a newborn to meet the teacher and back to school night and, and figure out feeding times so that they didn't correspond with dropping off and picking up Aliyah from school. (laughs) So that was a challenge. Yeah. It's funny how with the second baby, it's just like you sort of have to fit that baby into your existing life rather than let your life completely revolve around him. Yes. And that's definitely been um, an interesting learning experience for me because I really did with my first child, I really did just kind of hibernate with him for (laughs) three months and you know, I, I didn't have that opportunity this time, but I think it was good for me. I think it was really good to help me stay more connected to myself and to the professional side of myself and just kind of keep a more um, normal lifestyle going. And I think that was a big contributor to the fact that I didn't have those baby blues the second time around. I think that's probably very true. Yeah. How did Aliyah adjust to having a baby brother? She adjusted very well. She loves Titus so much. Um, they, She does so well with him. She's like his mom in a lot of ways. And she just kind of took care of him when I would – well, it was things like um, I would sit down to nurse Titus or something, and then I would be like, I'm really, really thirsty. Will you get me something to drink? And she would go get me something to drink. And then if – if uh, I needed something else, you know, I, I need a pacifier or can you go get me his diapers or something? And she was so good about doing all of that, especially since I was recovering from a C-section. So that was really nice. And uh, I think that helped incorporate her into uh, caring for Titus. And that helped that transition a, a little bit as well. Oh, I'm sure, because I can imagine that you had some worries about jealousy issues and things once he came. I did. I did. Well, really before he he came, I was I really didn't know how she was going to respond to having a baby take up so much of my time. And there were days that she would say, you spent all your time with him. You don't ever you don't ever spend time with me. And it wasn't she wasn't really saying it like meaning meaningfully. She was just trying to get my attention. Sure, yeah. And and so then I would try it. We did do um, a mommy-daughter date shortly after he was born. And then we would. I would always try to spend some time with her throughout my maternity leave because so much of my time during, during my maternity leave was focused on Titus. Right. Well, speaking of maternity leave, so I follow you on Instagram and that's actually how I think we met was mm-hmm. following each other there. And I remember when it was time for you to go back to work after your maternity leave was up and you just being so sad as we all are, mm-hmm. obviously, <laughs> about having to go back to work and leave our babies. So what was what was that return like for you? It was it was tough. Uh, we did a few, I think two, two days. We went and tried out daycare, so I took him to daycare for a couple of hours, and I went and did something, 
And just, I remember sitting in the car, barely being able to drive off. I was just thinking, I can't leave. I'm just going to sit here for two hours <laughs> because <laughs> then I'm, at least I'm right here. Right. Um, but I did, I did, I did go ahead and leave. And then whenever he, he adjusted somewhat to that, I think it was just, it was a lot harder for me than it was for him. But then when he started daycare, he did wonderfully. I think they always tell me he's our favorite baby. Oh. We're not supposed to have favorites, but he's ours <laughs> because he's really easygoing and especially for other people. Right. <laughs> and I think the hardest part of returning to work, um, besides having to leave Titus, was figuring out how to pump. Mm. And mm-hmm. well, I knew how to pump because I had already done it, but doing it within my job. Right. Because I had very little time to pump throughout the day. So whenever I could squeeze in, pump time was usually driving from one school to the next. So that's what I did. I I was a driving and pumping mom for a whole year. Well, not a whole year. I guess for nine months. <laughs> that is so impressive. I'm always impressed at anybody who pumps at work because I know that that is challenging, but especially for those that have to pump on the go, I can't even Mm -hmm. imagine juggling all of that and making sure you don't spill the milk and make a mess. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So did you kind of fall into a routine where it seemed to get a little easier with time? Yes. Yes, I did. I think there were still things that would come up where I would have to be at an ARD or I would have to be at, uh, I needed to go observe or do an evaluation or something. And then I would have to figure out how am I going to pump. And and sometimes it was just simply, how am I going to have time for me to eat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just to have lunch. Yeah. Because so much of my lunchtime was pumping, um, especially in the beginning. Because it took, I thought whenever I was doing research on like when, how long is it going to take for me to pump? How can I plan this in? And I thought it was only going to be about 15 minutes, but it took me a lot longer to pump, especially that doesn't include the time of, you know, getting ready to pump and then cleaning up and storing your milk and all of that. So overall it took me a good 20 to 25 minutes to pump and everything. So I, my, my times that I had planned were really off. So we had to be creative. And (laughs) and there were times when I just had to say, call the teacher and say, I'm not going to make it. I'm sorry. And that was really hard for me to do, to separate, to, to put my needs and my child's needs because I had a pump before my career. And Also, because I was pretty new and a lot of the teachers didn't know me that well yet. And that was, that was hard, but it's better now. It is. And I know I had that same situation the year after Parker was born when I would schedule my pumping breaks and it was only a 15 minute break that I scheduled for myself because like you, (laughs) I didn't realize all of the time that you had to factor in for all those other, you know, preparation and cleanup. And so, you know, after the student that I would finish up with, 
um, right before my break and if the parent wanted to talk and I just kind of saw the clock ticking away, I would start to kind of panic like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get it in and <laughs> then <laughs> there's going to be yeah. all sorts of issues. So I know it's it's really hard and I also had a hard time with, with putting myself ahead of my work because, you know, as music therapists, I think so many of us are, um, you know, obviously very committed to our work, but a lot of times even more than 100%. And it's something that we're so passionate about that it feels like we're, you know, failing in a way when when we can't put, put work at the forefront. I, I can definitely say that. That's exactly how I felt. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was failing. Yeah. Those, my students and my teachers and yes. Oh, I know. I know. So how much did you celebrate when you put that pump away for the last time? I... Well, it's funny because as the summer was going along, I would take Titus to daycare um, just to keep him in his routine and not for as much time. But he was still, I was still having to pump throughout the summer. And, but it eventually came to where I really wasn't producing as much. So there was almost no need to pump, but I still felt like I had to. (laughs) So, but um, as I guess as the time for pumping came to an end, I was almost sad about it. And I, and I think it was more having to do with the idea that it was time to, it was getting closer to the time to stop nursing. Right. So I just kind of put those two together because so much of my, of, of Titus's first year, he was drinking uh, pumped milk instead of just from me. So yeah, it was, it, it is, was it's different. a, it's a funny <laughs> relationship we cultivate with our pumps. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm getting ready for that. I've been pumping a little bit throughout the summer here and there, but you know, with returning to work next week, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have to get back into this whole routine <laughs> once again. So yeah, sort of bracing myself for it. So it's kind of nice to talk to somebody that has just recently been through it and, you know, to realize that you had it a lot harder than I will because I will be in one place and will be able to, you know, do it not in the car, not on the fly, but <laughs> but still it's, it's a challenge it, and it is. it's always nice to know that it can be done. Yes. And I, I have to so much respect for any mother who pumps. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Just breastfeeds in general. Right. Yeah. It's not it easy. Hard. I always say it it is basically like a full time job because you're keeping a small person alive. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk some more about your career after Titus was born. So you had already been a practicing music therapy therapist for a short amount of time. Did you feel like you evolved in a way after Titus was born or that you changed in your um, the way that you practiced? I I don't think so. Um I think mostly because I did already have Aliyah. Mhm. Um I was had every had everything already adjusted for balance, for balancing motherhood and my career. So I didn't have to do any of that and trying to figure out how to um, still be present for my children, but 
still have my career there because I had already had that, had, had to deal with that. So I guess I didn't have very many responsibilities when I first became pregnant. I, um, I only worked part-time at the school. And so I guess really the only way that I can say that I've evolved is that I've learned um, how to add, how and when to add on more. Um, you know, as Titus has grown, I've slowly added a few more responsibilities and I've, I've added a, a few clients through the Medicaid, Medicaid waiver program. And I will be starting uh, teaching some students for piano. Um, I guess that's really all. I, I started my career already as a mom. So once I had Titus, I could kind of decide when I was going to build up instead of starting with so much and then having a child and having to decide what I need to let go of. Right. So that's been nice, I think. I think that you bring a unique perspective to the podcast in the fact that you were a mom before you became a music therapist because I think for most guests, it's been the opposite where they've been a practicing music therapist and that has been always at the forefront and then they've had to flip that. So Mm -hmm. I think it's always interesting to hear a completely different perspective, which I think you, you've brought to us. So that's really interesting to hear. So you've talked a lot about the challenges that come with being a working mom. What are some of the most fulfilling aspects for you? Mm, Well, I think just having time to tap into who I am as a person you know, we're so many of us, like you've said, we, music is such a part of our lives. And then our jobs as music therapists are just, um, compound that. Um, I think having the opportunity to use my gifts and abilities refocuses my mind on who I am instead of getting lost in just being Aliyah and Titus's mom. So I would say that's probably the most fulfilling aspect. Yeah, I I love that you say that because it is so easy to lose that part of ourselves, at least, you know, for some time, especially after your baby's born. It's like you become the mom and not Leslie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be able to continue using your gifts and using um, and utilizing the the studies that you've been through and, and your degree to work, I think is so rewarding and just allows you to to hold on to your identity a little bit more than um, you might if you weren't working or if you weren't, you know, balancing motherhood and a career. Yes. Yeah. So we talk a lot about how important self-care is as therapists. What are some ways that you care for yourself outside of being a mom and outside of being a music therapist? Um, let's see, there's probably the most important thing is, um, spending time with, with God, just devoting at least 10 minutes of my morning and at least 10 minutes in the evening to, to God, to just refuel myself. 
And then it kind of reminds me to look at the bigger picture and not only the to-do list or, or just how hard a specific day may have been. If I just give that time, it really refuels my, my spirit for sure. Um, I also make time. I started this in January and I decided I was going to go to a, um, a Wednesday night small group for moms and it's called peace and serenity. And we just come together as a group of moms to support each other, to pray for each other and making that time for myself was hard because I, I've had Titus was, I think five months old when I started going and I hated to, I had work all day and then I would go to that class and I hated to leave Titus again, you know, for, to put him in the nursery at church, but giving myself that time was, um, spiritually uplifting and it helped so much to find some other moms that I could count on to do, you know, to do things, um, for me and I could do things for them when we needed, because we don't have any, we have family that are, we're, they're pretty close by. They're two hours South of us. So we don't have family to, you know, call up and say, Hey, I need, you know, a 30 minute break or something. We don't really have that. So to have some, some other mothers to go to has been really important. And I guess that's, that's kind of a weird, um, (laughs) self-care. I don't think so at all. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily completely about me, but just having other people, finding other people, creating those relationships is important. I absolutely agree. And I know that the same holds true for me with the group of moms that I met through, um, and I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I met in a mom and baby breastfeeding support group at the hospital when Parker was born. And those women that I met there are still some of my closest friends. And a lot of them have second babies at the same time that, that Mia was born. And we've stayed really close. But having that support and that camaraderie with people that are in it with you and that know what you're going through to be able to talk about the things that you're struggling with and to celebrate with you, I think is huge and so important to your self care that you, you know, can have those relationships that are for yourself and not for your child or for any other reason. Definitely. Yeah. Well, what advice would you give to other music therapists or people maybe that um, want to pursue music therapy that maybe have a child already like you did when you Mm -hmm. started your music therapy studies? What advice would you give? Well, for any mom in in your – the beginning stages of being – of motherhood, uh, I think each season goes so swiftly by. You know, before you know it, they're grown. And I, I definitely have felt that because um, Aliyah was almost six whenever we had Titus. So I realized how fast those years went. 
And so with Titus, I've just tried to cherish every single moment. And I know they tell you that, but you don't really realize it until maybe your second child because you don't realize the magnitude of it. But I guess just be as present in the moment and even the really hard ones, like last week, whenever Titus was going through um, hand, foot, and mouth virus, even in those hard moments, I was trying to make sure that I was really present, knowing that I, I had so much to get ready for back to school, but he needed me and nothing else mattered at that time. And uh, another thing that I always um, tell myself is nothing lasts forever. You know, nothing, nothing good and nothing bad will last forever. So we need to cherish, you know, cherish the good and get through the bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful advice because it's so true and it's things that we hear, but, you know, sometimes we just kind of push them aside and we don't, we don't take them to heart. So I'm glad that you, that you mentioned that and gave us a nice reminder to do those things. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Leslie, so much for sharing your perspective and your stories on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Leslie a message, you can contact her via Instagram at Leslie Z. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And I would really appreciate if you would take just a minute to rate and review the show on iTunes so that it reaches even more listeners. I'll talk to you again next week.